Hello, hello. Welcome to Ami Tuckered Out. I am your host, Ami Tucker Rahul. And I don't know about you guys, but I just spent the past few days stuffing my face over Thanksgiving weekend, which, you know, is definitely needed, especially with a year like this. But I could not think of a better time to talk about cleansing and holistic well being. So today, I get to chat with my childhood friend and basically big brother, Devong Shah, who is COO of Banyan Botanicals, who is also involved with the Ayurvedic Institute in Albuquerque and with Liv Ayurprana. He teaches me all about Ayurveda, Ayurvedic medicine, the study behind it, the history behind it, how it is a sister science of yoga and how to incorporate it into your own life in different ways. And so it was an awesome conversation. We caught up on the past 20 years. And of course, you know, I made fun of him because, you know, childhood friends. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Devang Shah. Before we begin, I really wanted to share a very important podcast with you by DCP Entertainment called Say Their Name. Say Their Name is a podcast series that highlights the stories of seven Black individuals who were unarmed when they were assaulted or killed by police or in stand-your-ground states. Here is a trailer. Whose story? What story? You need to watch the reality. It should make you uncomfortable. We have been too comfortable with too many bad things happening for too long. Her story. Police officer shot and killed a black woman in her own home. Hashtags through history. Incident Police officer incident. shot and killed a black Year. woman Year. in her Year. own home. Say their name. Tune in to Say Their Name a podcast that focuses on the assault and killing of unarmed black people by police and in stand-your-ground states. But my child getting shot in the head, 60 seconds, that's how long they took. Wasn't no criminal. My baby was a good man, a good hard-working man. I'm the mother, father, sister, uncle, grandmother. We were best friends. Gentle, laid-back, fun, sweetheart. He was a, a great kid, always had a smile on his face. This was a person who was our friend, our colleague. Just the opposite of anyone you'd feel you need to defend yourself from. What happens when the hashtag stop, the media leaves, yet the community remains? I know our pain, you know, I want them to know our pain. The community was traumatized and experienced his murder too. Because the only thing they gave me was $60,000. And by the time I got the chick, I only had $19,000. Please listen and subscribe to this and other DCP shows at dcpofficial.com on Apple, Spotify, Google, Pandora, or wherever you get your shows. You know, there's just so much stuff now. So sad that kids can't come outside and play. You're listening to Tuckered Out with Ami. This is Josh Radner from How I Met Your Mother and other TV shows and other things. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you can use something like that. I won't make fun of you that much. I mean, there was a lot of childhood 
stories I had, but I was like, well, maybe we can say it's that all, next time. It's all good. You can, you can share whatever. I know. I know. So, I mean, look, I obviously we grew up together. I know your childhood. I know we were spiritually kind of not on the same path, but kind of learning the same thing. We were family friends and then life takes turns. You went to college. We all went to college. You went to Vidyapit, which I can explain to everyone later what that is. And then I feel like from my point of view, and you know, we lost touch, obviously so close with my brother, but we lost touch enough to where I feel like I want to start from there to understand after Vidyapit, how do you, your life kind of took a turn. I mean, everyone's life takes a turn. How did your life take a turn and what were you planning on doing while you're at Caltech and how did that change? Yeah. So nerd alert, being at Caltech and studying engineering and just thinking that was the be all end all growing up, like tinkering with computers to whatever extent I could. And then thinking, oh, I want to build computers and then realizing, geez, I don't think I want to do this anymore. It was very fascinating to learn, but I wasn't the type of person to just sit behind a computer designing computers. And that's what I learned. Like it's not as much tinkering especially when you're not a great engineer or a good engineer, like you're kind of mediocre. And maybe I was mediocre at the upper end of the pack, but still I wasn't like people in my class were building, cutting edge stuff just on the side for fun. And I was just trying to get through the work. And so I got into economics and, you know, my mom was always kind of this businesswoman and said, okay, maybe business is a thing, but Caltech didn't offer business. And then, yeah, one summer we were with Dada and he was like, when are you going to go to India? And ended up at the ashram that he has outside of Bombay and spent a year there and just connected with a group of people and friends that became, you know, more than friends, beyond friends, like life partners, business partners, best friends. And from there, we just kind of had this vision that really was implanted in us. I don't think it was any one of our ideas, but like, How can we work together to create a new vision of life? There's the normal thing, right? You go and you get a job or you start a career, you start a business maybe, and you have your family and you do these things. And and all those are important too. And we said, okay, how do we do those things? But how do we do them in a way that maybe we can get out of the normal, the normalcy of normal? And obviously when you do that, the opportunity to do something great is high and the opportunity to fail is high too. And I think in some regards our experiment as friends to work together and live together and play together had some awesome successes and some challenges when you're that close and and that dynamic. Right. Can you explain just what Vidyapit is? Yeah. So Vidyapit was started by Pandurang Shastri Atavale, this amazing spiritual reformist, Vedantist, genius, like realized soul that we grew up with, you and I together, like very close in our families, right? Like our parents grew up, like your mom grew up with him and my dad grew up with him in India, effectively. And so he, sometime in the 50s or 60s, started basically an ashram-type school just on the outskirts of Bombay. And it had morphed over years to basically whatever student, however long students were willing to spend there, he was willing to have them learn something more about their life. And the way he even stated it is, as we were leaving is like, look, what I've given you here is a table of content of the spiritual ethos of India and not focusing on any one thing, but just saying, look, these are the questions that our heritage asked 
about life, about the goals of life, about what's beyond life. And it wasn't only Indian stuff. Like we were, we studied Western philosophy. We studied all the world's religions. We actually didn't study his works, which was interesting. Like there was never a class on, okay, what did he do? What was his teaching? What was his practice? He was like, you're going to get that. You'll get that on Sunday when you come to our normal Kendra satsang. And then that's for you to pick up later. But if you don't have this sort of broader context, then you, how do you contextualize it? And then he wasn't trying to convince people to listen to him. He was just trying to encourage people to live their best life and understand there's something beyond. There's something deeper in our spiritual being that's so divine and so connected that, hey, stop seeing differences. See the likeness, see the likeness, see the likeness in each other. And I think also how to incorporate it, right? Anywhere that you are. You don't have to be at an ashram in India. Yeah, so the opportunity of being there was just an opportunity to pause what you're doing take a moment to study, sort of imbibe these things. And then obviously the intention of the ashram isn't that you stay there and live there forever. It was a one to two year program. Students came in typically postgraduate. So after 22, 22, 23, stay to two years. And then they're going back into the world. And so the idea is like, okay, you have your sort of technical education that supports you, right? Whatever field, career that you want to do. And then you sort of layer this on and say, okay, now as I enter the world, I'm better equipped. Trying to be a throwback to the old double one systems of India, where when you went through school, you didn't just learn how to a skill that could support your livelihood, but you actually learn values, the value-based education, I would say. You live with somebody for that long and then you get connected and you share ideas and you're like, okay, what if we could do this? And then I got back and I got back into school and finding a job and I kind of lost it for a couple of years and then was reminded by my best friends, a couple of guys named Pritesh and Mitesh, like, yo, man, when we were in India, we committed to wanting to do this. Like, what are we going to do? Like, let's do it. Let's get together. Let's get located in the same city. Were they lost as well? Were they kind of figuring out? No, they had stayed focused pretty much on what we had set. But they, when they got back, they decided not to go back. They went back to school for a little bit, wrapped up their education, and then got into their you know business. They got married pretty soon after. Like life just unfolded for both of those guys to be married, and like they're like, okay, we're married. Like this feeling of responsibility kicked in, and like let's get going. And I kind of I think was still in a school mode. I was in like, hey, I'm living in California, going snowboarding and camping mode. And like, they were in Texas and I didn't really feel like, you know, whatever the excuses were that I kind of put it off. And then one day it was like, okay, this is four or five years later. That was 98. We got back in 2004. I was like, okay, this is like, this is what we committed to. Like, we, we can't not do it. And so, yeah, they were kind, good friends enough to not let me forget what our commitments were. And, you know, obviously... It resonated with me. And as I've learned things over the years, the age around 27 from an astrological perspective is when Saturn returns to its original place in your chart. And you'll see a lot of people make dramatic shifts at the age of 27. Somewhere between 27 and 29 is when that period will hit. And a lot of people you'll see will make very dramatic shifts in their life from a career standpoint, a family standpoint, where they're going to live standpoint. The same was true for me. I was like, okay, California is done, moving to Texas. And that working life was done, got into partnership in business. and Okay. Yeah. So that's when the hotel stuff started. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys started a company called Pearl Hospitality. And we were building, developing, managing hotels. But we also looked at it as a way. We use that as a platform, too, to support our team, right? Like we had run these camps in Swadhyay and like interacted. And it was always like, okay, 
the hotels were fun, but the hotels were fun because of the teams that we worked with and what we wanted to do. So we had meeting, like we had a meeting once a week called leadership, which was like a study circle. We would just take a book every week and just dissect it, discuss it. And it was on work time, but it didn't have to be about work. Like we weren't saying, okay, now you do this. So now run your department better because you've learned this. Like, what are you going to incorporate in your department? No, it was just, let's study this for what it is. And we would take, we would try to bring in spirituality in a way that wasn't Hindu by any means, but incorporated all the values that we had. So we would study Stephen Covey or Jim Collins, good to great, like try to bring in universal principles that were written by other people in a language that we could all understand and discuss at the same plane and enrich all of our lives by discussing these these topics, right? When we would bring in a little bit of meditation and things like that, but more it was, yeah, just anything good. You guys were just doing it on, on your own. You had no like teacher or guru there kind of guiding. No, it would just be us. And then, yeah, different people each week over time. Like we would kind of, the culture got set like, okay, let's spend an hour a day, hour a week studying something of value that enriches our lives. We called it leadership because we were like, okay, our motto for pro hospitality was creating leaders. And how do you become a better leader? First step is I got to work on myself. I've got to get over my hangups. I've got to get over my blocks. I've got to push myself to new limits. And part of doing that is is taking a look at ourselves. And one way that we know does this like is, is having content enrich yourself to do that. And so, yeah, we started sort of guiding those sessions, but then, yeah, people would get inspired. And so we would rotate, like every person would have a, okay, this week's my leadership and I'll be taking on the next few pages. So we would do it in different ways. We'd watch clips, we would read part of the book, we would read, okay, everyone read at home this week and then come back and we'll discuss it. We would do exercises, activities, and then over time that morphed into a daily, like 15 minute, we would do a 15 minute every day to kind of kick off the day, or we would do it at shift change. So the crappy thing about hospitality is it's 24 seven, right? So like, how do you incorporate everybody? So morning shift and evening shift at shift change, we might do an operations meeting. We'd start that off with like 15 minutes. And then quarterly, we started doing these retreats where we would do two day planning retreats. And so generally the first third to a half of the planning retreat would be something around okay let's let's use this opportunity to take a deeper look at something and then the second half would be okay let's plan out the next quarter what are the goals so it seems like you guys are incorporated like what we grew up doing which is with our, our weekly temple hindu school as you would call it learning about the vedas and then incorporating also what you learned at vidyapit which was more universal and kind of putting those together yeah. Yeah. I mean, what we enjoyed doing was running those camps and running, uh, doing all that stuff that we did. Right. So when we got back from Vidipit, we dove in more right into like doing Seva in the way that we knew how pretty crappy when you're 22, right? Like egos flaring and I know what's best. And I've spent two years here and now, you know, later on you learn, but there was a lot of positive energy too, of like, man, let's get people together. They're excited. Let's do stuff. Let's, let's make it like, let's have movement. So with immaturity was also a lot of really positive energy and drive. And when we started working, it's like, well, we can't let this part go. This is what we love. And so tried to do the same thing in the business setting. What was this shift to Albuquerque, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in 2011, we um, got involved and bought into a business named Banyan Botanicals, which is an Ayurvedic herbal supplement company. And the Ayurveda journey started basically when I moved to Texas in 2005. So a good friend of ours, you know, Bremel, right? She finished her medical studies and her residency at Baylor in Waco and then 
I she finished her medical stuff at UT and then did a residency at, in Waco because one of the first properties that the group did was in Waco. And so she finished her residency and it was kind of like, okay, I love medicine, but something's not right about how we're practicing it for me, especially for her. And so she just wanted to do something more. And then actually, you know, Kira Dunkel in Lubbock was actually the one who told her that, hey, I don't know much about it, but there's this Ayurvedic physician. Ayurvedic doctor Vedia from Pune in Albuquerque, and he's got the center there, and he's been there for like 25 years. You should just go check it out. So British and Brahma went uh, one weekend, and Dr. Lad was in India at the time, and they did a Panchakarma detox program there for a week. And I'm like, okay, this is really weird, but there's something here. And in January of that same year, January or February of the following year, so maybe 2005, Nitesh actually herniated a disc in his neck just working out, playing basketball, and everyone in Lubbock at the time, all you know, and Lubbock's got awesome docs. They're like, you're going to have to have surgery either now or soon. You're going to have to fuse your discs. There's no way out of it. And so Pritesh, I think, was like, look, man, we went to this Ayurvedic place. I don't know much about it, but I think there's something there. Why don't we go there and check it out and do a two-week or a three-week cleanse, and let's just see what happens. So they went and signed up for two weeks of Panchakarma there, maybe three, met Dr. Ladd, Dr. Ladd said, don't do surgery. We can heal this through Ayurvedic methods. It will take some time. But he had lost like 80% of the feeling in his thumb at that point due to like nerve pinching on one side. I don't remember which one. At the end of that three weeks, he had regained like 60% of that feeling back and saw the immediate impact of doing this cleansing, right? And so at that point, those guys had been working, you know, in the hotel space for like three or four years prior, maybe maybe six, right? Really from 98, 99 till 2004, 2005. And from ground up two years looking for a property and then just doing every bit of everything. And so that lifestyle, along with sort of this like challenge mode of mentality, along with not having the right routine to take care of your body, just had taken its toll and just got plugged in. And so Bremel checked it out and she was like, hey, we got to do this. Like, this is awesome. And so they actually got all of their close friends, of which Falguni, my wife, was one of them, and some other people, Gavita and a few other women together. And maybe 12, 10 or 12 of them signed up for the first year of the Ayurvedic Studies program in Albuquerque. And they basically created their own like little mini ashram experiment where they they all moved away from us for the year. They studied Ayurveda. They lived together in like two or three apartments. They made, you know, they had one as more of the living and cooking apartment. One was like the study apartment. And they just did this thing. And then, so they made their own little thing. And Dr. Ladd's just amazing, right? Like he teaches Ayurveda, technical Ayurveda, but constantly he's coming back to like, what's your awareness? What's your connection with the divine? And really later on, I think we realized that the Ayurvedic program is really an opportunity for you to learn Ayurveda, but also go through your own healing process, just as any of these many things are. People in the States have heard the term through like yoga classes or, you know, well, there's so much, so many wellness blogs out there. So like, what's the simplest definition of what is, what is Ayurveda? So Ayurveda simply is Ayurveda's life and Veda is like science or knowledge, right? So the simplest thing is it's the science of life, the knowledge of life. I mean, now we compartmentalize things, right? Like this is Chinese medicine and this is Ayurvedic medicine and this is allopathic medicine. But if you go back 5,000 years ago, and then Ayurveda was just what people lived, how they lived their life, right? Like the type of food they ate was from an Ayurvedic perspective. The type of medicine and herbs they used were from an Ayurvedic perspective. Obviously, it wasn't 
fixed science. It was a developing science, just like a science is today or a medical practice is today. Ayurveda was a developing science. And as, as people connect with that science, they unlock tips and tricks and discover things. It's just not a fully external process. Like anything from India, there's an internal process by which through contemplation, meditation, connection with plant, spirit, all kinds of things, that certain realizations come about. So it's not always, oh, we took this herb and we crushed it and we tried it. Yes, there's some of that that happens too. And there's also this idea of communion. Oh, the Vedya in his locality, in his forest, sitting with plants. And the plants give him insight saying, you can use me for healing this in this season at this time for this type of situation, you know? Right, right. And I think the other thing I wanted to do talking to you was to make people understand that this is not a Hindu thing or an Indian thing. It is related there, obviously, but it's not right. It's not associated with a religion. No, it's not at all, right? Like you can you can associate it with Vedic thought, and there's obviously things connected to deities of India and, and sort of that. But the science itself is universal. So when I say it's a science of life, what I would say it goes one layer. Like there's this concept in Indian thought of the adrish, the unknown or the unseen forces that are acting, and Ayurveda tries to explain one layer deeper of what are principles that you may not be able to see, but that are acting still, and that can give you insight. So. Really, Ayurveda to me is like, so that science of life, when you start studying it, you get exposed to universal principles that are, that can become at a personal level, you know, obviously there's the route to become a practitioner and to connect with people and do work in that way. But even at a personal level, if you learn a few principles that we all kind of know growing up, like your mom would tell you, don't eat ice cream when you have a cold in winter your cough's going to get worse. Well, there's legitimacy to that. And Ayurveda will explain to you why that is. And so from a personal perspective, learning a few principles, you can actually create this really cool feedback mechanism in your own life that helps you realize, okay, what's going on in my body, in my mind? What am I reacting to? And what can be an antidote to support that? If I'm frustrated in summer, what's an antidote to that? If I'm cold in winter, what's an antidote to that? And obviously, I'm giving you very simple examples, but it can get complicated too. And of course, as it gets complicated, it's good to bring in an expert that can can guide you. But even at a basic level, you can do some really cool stuff. So the cool thing is these principles you can incorporate health-wise. You can actually incorporate it in business leadership and all kinds of things. Like when you get this lens, it's super cool. So the sure, I'll try to make it short. So, Ayur, so Ayurveda is built on... In Indian philosophy, there's what's called six darshans, six systems of philosophy, and Ayurveda is primarily built on the Sakya philosophy. And they're all connected, so they all have points that are in common, but they all have points of differentiation, right? And one of the ideas is that there's five Mahabhutas or five elements. So in those, you have ether, air, fire, water, and earth. These five come together in these combinations to give you what are called three doshas or three humors, as some people call it, or three principles that guide the biophysiology psychology of our body. So air and ether or air and space combine to give you vata, vat. Fire and water combine to give you bit, but really it's more of a fire element, but it has both. And then water and earth combine to give you gaffa. And so if you think about the three very quickly, we have all three acting in our body at all times. However, each of us is born with a unique constitution or a unique makeup of these three 
principles that we're born with in sort of proportions. And that's what's called our prakriti. And you can read that through one of these quizzes, sort of, but Avedia would read it through a pulse diagnosis, through observation. And the way Dr. Ladd teaches it is basically numbers of one to three. And so let's take the predominant quality and say, okay, a vata predominant person. So somebody who has vata predominantly, the highlights of vata being space and air are going to be a lot of movement, right? Air moves. So creativity, imagination, somebody who moves a lot, like me, I can't sit still, I move a lot, right? On the positive side, that's guiding movement in the body. So your breath, communication in the body is guided through that, right? So that's the vata quality. On the negative side or troubling side is that same person might suffer from anxiety, nervousness, dryness in the body. So constipation, certain types of constipation can be caused by that dryness, cracking joints, a thinner, slenderer frame, neither positive or negative. So that's vata very quickly. Pitta, if you think that fire element, what, what does fire do? It's transformative, right? It transforms. It's our digestion. On the positive, somebody with that sharp intellect, boom, you give them a problem, challenge motivated, challenge oriented, a little bit oiler skin, pimple breakouts, rashes, acid reflux, all kind of pitta qualities. On the negative side, can get frustrated easily, can get angry easily, short-tempered, hangry, hangry personality. So that's a pitta quality. But think transformation, the body in the body, pitta guides transformation, right? The digestion of our food, the transformation of ideas is guided by pitta quality. Any of that type of transformation, metabolic function is pitta. And the last one being kapha is earth and water. So think about that. Earth and water, it's heavy. It's grounded. So from a frame size, you're going from slender, but the predominant person is going to be a medium-bodied frame. A kapha person is going to be a little bit heavier body frame. But that really grounded personality. But with that's going to come compassion, patience, really nice voice. Like just the image that came to mind is Lizzo is a kapha person, right? Like this amazing voice and this like unctuous, oily, very, very soft skin is this cuff of quality. And on the, you know, positive, super patient, super compassionate, the ability to do like one thing, but sometimes needs motivation. And they're going to have a little bit more inertia, a little bit more laziness, maybe a little bit more shyness to them is that cuff of quality. What? I have pimples and I like to move around. So I'm very confused. <laughs> Yeah. So no one, no one is one. Most people have two predominant. So like I would be a Pittavata personality. You're probably going to be the same Pittavata. Your brother's going to be Pittavata if you think other person. And you'll see our society today is Pitta predominant. So that fire quality, like just think about our world, like business, marketing, challenge. I want to achieve. I want to learn. I want to I want to invent, I want to develop, I want to be the best dancer, I want to be the best, e even in the arts, which are more vata, I want to be the best artist, I want to be the best musician, I want to be the number one billboard, whatever, you know. So our society, even though there's all these personality types, is definitely fit the predominant. So naturally, you can take your Brakruti state and automatically identify certain things. Most likely what you're predominant in oftentimes is what you're also most often imbalanced in, but not necessarily. Like I'm fit the predominant, but my vata imbalances tend to be higher. So I then tend to get forgetful and like totally unorganized and all over the place, right? But it can it can be any one of them at any time. And, and there's a combination that creates the imbalances. So an Ayurvedic practitioner would tell you, okay, this is your this is the breakup of your natural constitution. And this is what's out of balance today. 
What creates that out of balance is one, what's called your natural kawaigunya or natural defective space. So each of us has a predominance to having something wrong. Like why if I'm feeling my tendency is to have high blood pressure and your tendency may be to have something else, knee pain, I don't know, whatever you're, different people have a different tendency for different types of ailments. So Ayurvedically, you have certain inbuilt sort of predominance of where your basically as toxicity builds in your body, where does it get lodged and what trouble does it cause? That's something that an Ayurvedic diagnosis or Ayurvedic assessment can tell you. I can tell you all about my ailments at this point. It's all gut right now. There you go. So that's so that's what it's going to be. So that's one. Step two is going to be genetic. And that kind of ties into genetic predisposition. They both connect. Then the third one is going to be what we put into our bodies and our environment, right? So what we're eating that doesn't align with our dosha, the season, the dosha can balance. Third, and then all the stressors of life, you know, the emotions of having a family and kids and job and work and this and that and mortgage and this and blah. And then how that impacts us and what we're predisposed to, right? So somebody with the same stress is going to get boils and anger and pimples and and somebody else is going to get anxiety and really bad sleep and something else. And somebody else is going to get depression and and depression is going to be on the kapha. So I just named you about the disorder around stress, a pitta disorder and a kapha disorder. And then this is simplified, but they're all three are interplay at all times. And that's where it can get layered on layered. So, yeah. And so, yeah. So then you design your protocol based on what, you know, your natural dosha, your constitution is. And then specifically you work on the imbalance, trying to bring it back into balance. And it's it's balanced for you, not balanced for somebody else. So it's not like, oh, everyone at this time should be doing this. It's totally individualized, totally personalized. And that's where some of what happens today just doesn't work. Like, okay, keto could work for you, but it could not. And it could not work for you at a certain time. And a certain time, maybe it could. That's right. Intermittent fasting could work for you, but it could not. If you're Vata, maybe you don't want to do intermittent fasting. If you're Kapha, you do. So so these sort of national trends that occur at a diet fad level have their merits. But in Ayurveda, they would say, okay, this has its merit for whom and when and why. So you mentioned that it's a sister science of yoga, right? And like everyone and their mom is doing yoga now. So Ayurveda spread a lot in the U.S. especially? Do you think people are understanding it and accepting it now? Or is it still like a, a weird kind of wellness fad? It hasn't reached fad level at all yet. So it's not at that level. I think it's gaining, it's, it's, it's been gaining momentum, but it's slow because it's a little, like it does take some work up front to sort of understand it and get into it. That's one, I think, Two, I think as people dive into yoga and they say, wow, if this offered me this much this fast, what else is there? And that's a lot of where the growth is coming from. But if people are not, you don't need to go into Sanskrit, you don't need to go into these things, but some work needs to be done to make make Ayurveda as broadly understandable as what yoga is, right? Like you can go to yoga class and downward dog is a standard nomenclature. Vata is not, or Kapha Pitta is not, right? And how you describe those and people have tried different ways, but it's, yeah. I feel like people know, the, like I understand the elements a little bit more. They might not get the terminology, but like, I feel like people are, you know, like turmeric and like people are kind of learning and understanding and using it more. They are, they are. No, it's definitely growing. Like, I mean, Banyan is a, 
a decently successful business and the Ayurvedic Institute's been teaching Ayurveda in the U.S. for like 35 years maybe now. There's many other schools in Ayurveda. I think the difficulty is because there isn't licensure for it yet and people have to do something else. I think a lot of really sincere people study Ayurveda, but there isn't a platform to plug into. And we can talk a little bit more about that later, but like, how do you get going, right? So if you now study this beautiful science and you're left to your own device to create a business, but you're not a business person, how do you do that? And do you have the resources and the funds? And and there's just a lot of things that, that, that are blocks. And unfortunately, Indians and Ayurvedic community is just not as unified as like, say, Chinese medicine was 30 years ago to like band together and really lock it in. Why is that? Why aren't they? I don't know. There's there's a lot. I think people are one are fending for themselves, just trying to make make a livelihood. So that's one. And then so stepping outside of that to actually say, okay, what can we do as a community? It's like there's just not time for it. I think there hasn't probably been as strong a leader to spearhead it, although there have been some amazing leaders in the space, but I think they, yeah, they're focused on what they need to do. And I, I don't, you know, I don't know the history of all, but I know in the Chinese medicine space, they really banded together and they conquered like what they focused on one or two states and used that as leverage to, to get national acceptance. Well, I even feel like our own Indian American friends and family go to Chinese medicine a lot. And I'm like, well, we have Ayurveda too. <laughs> exactly. You can go do whatever you want, but why is it that that's like the first thing they think of other than, you know, going to a doctor? Yeah. I do think it's changing. I do think it's people are getting becoming a little bit more aware. So Banyan Botanicals, which you are involved with now, are you an investor? Yeah, so our team from the from Pearl Hospitality invested in in the company in 2011 and then it was funny, I worked in a warehouse before joining, like coming over to the hospitality business. And so Banyan had a warehouse. And so I was the one from the team that basically went over to sort of look after that investment and, and spearhead it as one of the principals of the of the larger group to work with the original co-founders, Kevin Casey and Scott Cody. Yeah, I want to talk to, about them because they launched back and they were the students of Dr. Lab, right? Lab, yeah. Lab. yeah, Dr. Lab. And so... Can you go ahead and give me a brief history on on Dr. Ladd? Like, what's his story? Yeah, so it's super cool. So Dr. Ladd was a media, like, really simple. He's still very simple and a humble human. It's, like, spiritually just, like, to the next level. And, yeah, in the, the late eight, there's a really cool documentary, actually, that was put out by him, but not by him, by some folks in the community a few years ago called Doctor from India. So I recommend checking that out if anyone's interested in learning more about him. But the short of it is, yeah, he was doing his thing in Pune. And one of his, the way he tells it is one of his gurus told him that he would go bring Ayurveda to the West. And so some Westerners in Pune at the time had met Dr. Ladd and were connecting with him, a gentleman named Robert Svoboda and another person who I don't remember, Lenny something. And they're talked about in that movie. And they then sponsored Dr. Ladd to come over. And basically he did like a tour of the US, like in the back of this guy's car, like traveling city to city in the back of this guy's car, just talking about Ayurveda. And he was just so captivating that a group of students were like, Dr. Ladd, just stay back. And it was a school in Santa Fe. And they were like, just stay back and be a person here. So I can't remember if he stayed back on that trip or he went back to India and they sent a ticket for him to come back. And so he stayed for like six months. And then eventually that same group of students helped him found the Ayurvedic Institute in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this is in like the late seventies, early eighties. And he had come without his family and yeah, it was just like, but his guru had told him like, okay, he's going to bring Ayurveda to the West. And so humbly, like he left everything he knew and loved and like without really ambition, just this like ability to connect 
and bring Ayurveda. And like now we realize like, man, he takes all the texts, he takes all his learning and it's just disseminated down into the essence. How he delivers it is just so cool. But then he uses it always to connect back to like, okay, this is Ayurveda and this is great and this is for your health and well-being. But like his talks always somehow meander back to like, you're the divine and how do you live with awareness and moment like true healing will come from moment to moment awareness. And he has this concept like watch the watcher where he talks about as you're looking outwards, how do you look inwards at the same time and see, okay, as you're interacting in the world, how do you go back and look inside and see what is happening inside simultaneously to be in the present. And it's just a beautiful, like, he's just awesome. (laughs) Obviously, Dada was our kind of first guru and mentor, leader, if you want to call him, spiritual leader. Sounds like Dr. Lad has become another one for you in kind of your adulthood. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. After that, I was not in the body and, and we were just, yeah, we we're just looking for different things. Came across different teachers during that time. Dr. Lad was one. Got connected to Vipassana. That was like awesome through Goenkaji. Got connected to somebody where we studied like Vedic astrology and Gita and different things. A gentleman by the name of Hart Defoe, who's an amazing, yeah, amazing person. And yeah, and that led to another phase. But yeah, those during this like 10 year period from like 2002 to 2012 just ended up connecting with some luckily like these amazing teach like I don't know some somehow the universe has blessed us with this gift of bringing these teachers forward at a time when you need them is he still involved is he still there is he back in India no yeah he's he's here now yeah he actually travels back and forth to India so yeah he teaches typically in a non-COVID-19 year he would be at the Ayurvedic Institute from January till about July August and then he goes back to India from August to December and he's got a small learning like a learning ashram there where he brings students from all over the world he's got a clinic in the city center that he does like on a pay by donation type basis and then he also does work in like in his local village too where he has a farmhouse and then people just know like he comes on these days and like people from all the villages around just come and those he definitely doesn't even there's no like fee even in the clinic like i've seen him like people ask how much does he owe and he can just kind of tell like if he knows they just don't have money he doesn't even say it. he doesn't point to the box and then if he can tell like somebody's got something he just says there's a there's a box there and whatever you want whatever you feel is the value or whatever he doesn't even say that he just literally points to the box and right right yeah it's just totally a lifesaver for him yeah i mean so with someone like that you would that makes sense so you can actually not in a non-covid world you can actually go to the center and, and go to his classes yeah, so the center's still on. So even in Albuquerque, they're still going. So like uh, they've, they've moved it all off online. And I think right now they were doing hybrid. So yeah, the Ayurvedic Institute is like for people who really want to dive into Ayurveda. Like, you know, it's like a thousand plus hour course in the first year. The second year gears people up to be practitioners and they're working on developing a third year of a master's program. So that's like, I want to get into it full-fledged. And then- What if you want to like check it out for like a week or two? So if you just want to check it out for a week or two, we actually started this new thing this last three months. So Dr. Lad not traveling back to India this fall, it was like, we've been talking about this from, from for a while saying, okay, there's a bridge between like what Banyan's doing where they connect to people at an herbal level and due to FDA restrictions, like what can they say in the space of Ayurveda? So we put out a ton of free articles and then there's the Ayurvedic Institute that prepares practitioners. And there's this whole space in between of like, how do you support practitioners? How do you give people more snippets? And so, yeah, we started this thing called Ayurprana with Dr. Ladd as sort of, not sort of, like the inspiration for it. And yeah, so 
yeah, you can go to liveiyourprana.com and like we just got it up and this fall we had a series, two series of webinars and yeah, super cool. Like one is a practitioner series or a more advanced series. One is a more introductory series talking about the foundations of Ayurved, how to set up a daily routine, immunity, a basic pranayam, like breathing exercise routine. And these are all featuring Dr. Ladd, but we have a ton of stuff coming where it's going to be Dr. Ladd plus other teachers. And the other thing we're excited about is we're going to be doing health coaching. We're going to launch health coaching in January. So we're going to have practitioners that you can connect with online. You can set up a single consultation or a series of consultations to go through your whole Ayurvedic assessment and like dial it in. And so there's a couple of purposes. One, we want to connect to people and give them like this very sincere, clear experience with what Ayurved is. And then two, we want to provide opportunities for these beautiful people that study Ayurved that have nowhere to go except for to fend for themselves and like have a platform that they can come into where they can, you know, one, they'll get further coaching because we would have people supervising. So somewhat like a residency type program. So once they finish two to three years at the Ayurvedic Institute or another Ayurvedic school, they could come in and be connected with the support system to feel confident in what they're doing. And then create a platform that I wouldn't say is like cookie cutter, but at least the base level of what you get from each person is is pretty pretty much the same. But then you have the flair of the practitioner, right? So again, incorporating about the pitta kapha, right? Somebody that's challenge moded is going to want to be presented to, discussed like in that way. Somebody who's more vata is going to need a little bit more coaching and coddling, and somebody with a little bit more kapha is going to need a little push, right? Like, hey, you can do it, but hey, get out there, do it. Like, we're here for you. This sounds fantastic. And I feel it feels like this would reach people kind of in my age range and my life phase, you know, like that wanna get do it and want to understand it more, but don't have the time to, to go to camps for hours because I have a three. Like, like a lot of things nowadays, like therapies online too, right? Like this thing's changing. And so I think that's a, yeah, that's a really good option for a lot of us. Yeah, we, we that's the whole thing. We're going to have a community app and then connect people in new ways, have support systems where individuals going through the process are supporting, but how do you connect with your practitioner on a regular basis through digital medium? There's just so much cool technology out there. But yeah, the movement to get going quick and fast was like Dr. Ladd was here. We had time. It's like, okay, well, the one thing that's amazing is that, I don't know, approaching 80, I think he works, he works more than anybody, but for him, it's not work. It's just such a passion and such who he is. And so he's got a really like routine set of things that he does. Like he always does his morning, like he's Ayurvedic, right? He does his morning routine. He does his meditation and his yoga and his pranayama. But then he can go for like 10, 12 hours a day just teaching in like two and three hour chunks. And yeah, he just, it's just amazing. And so like, he's like walking the talk. So yeah, I need to get him on. I feel like I've been all serious. Like I was expecting we'd be cutting up about our childhood. And, yeah. Oh no, it's fine. It's good. It's good. I'm we can do that too. I really went quickly. I had a question about the farm. You guys have a big farm there and you grow the herbs there. Yeah. In general, herb, herbs are a really cool thing. And I've been fortunate like with Banyan and the connection that we've had to different people. One, like the founders of Banyan, Kevin and Scott. And then we have an awesome herbal director on board now. His name is Tyler Waters. And then we've been connected with Sebastian Pohl of Pucka Herbs out of the UK and just been able to learn some cool things. But it's neat. neat. Like 70, some 70% of the world's herbs at one point came from wild harvested sources, right? So traditional sourcing where herbs grow in the wild. And this is especially true in India 
uh, and in some cases that's great and it doesn't matter, right? Like fruits that grow on trees, you can harvest as much as you want as long as you're not damaging the tree and it's great. But many herbs come from the root. The root is the source of the medicinal value. Sometimes the gum is the source. So like you're doing small incisions to extract the, the resin out of the plant, right? And how a bunch of these things happen totally damage the ecosystem and make certain things unsustainable for the future, right? And, and you get it, right? Like somebody needs money today. They're not worried about as much about tomorrow if they're not educated about the impact of what that is, but if they can be educated. And so I think Banyan for a long time, Pucka for a long time has been doing some cool stuff in the space around being in India and actually like we've been visiting farm. I've been visiting farms in India and harvesting locations for over eight years. And in the last few years, we started our own farms here, our own contract farms in Gujarat because I was like, we were going all over India except for Gujarat. And I'm like, man, we're Gujaratis. Like, I love India and it doesn't really matter where it happens in India, but it's like, man, we should have some stuff close to home too. And what can we do? And typically Gujarat's known as like the pesticide capital of India because of all the cotton and castor and industrial crops. So people are like, you can't grow herbs there because obviously that's something you don't want in your herbs because you're using these as medicine. And then if they're laced with pesticides from the growing process, and herbs, yeah, you don't want pesticides. You want to know where the source is, that they're not breaking down ecosystems. Can these things be cultivated naturally? And yeah, it's exciting. Like, so I just always ask people to like check their source, right? And there's a lot of things that come up for sale on Amazon where, yeah, it's just like, it's interesting how the, how the supplement space works. There's companies that are re- literally built to market the latest fad. Like green tea extract is the next fad or Garcinia is the next fad or green coffee extract, right? They're just built to like, okay, what's the fad? How do I get somebody else to develop a product, develop a good label and market it? And they're not necessarily looking into where's the source of the product? How is it processed? What what are the additives, binders, fillers and all that stuff? So as a whole, I just like, yeah, just dive in and know what you're just like, like, just like you care to buy maybe organic apples when you go to the supermarket supplements are the same thing like the source of the ingredient where they comes from where it matters what the companies are doing right right okay so how does someone start like i know there's an ayurvedic quiz on the banyan botanic website you start there for people that have no idea what they're doing yeah if you have no idea and just want to dive in i would say get an ayurvedic constitution quiz handy i think the ayurvedic institute has one banyan has one that would be base base step one and just read like an introductory article on Ayurveda. But I would say if you really want to dive in, find a practitioner who can support you. Obviously, we're going to have practitioners online soon. So wait, you can wait for that. But if you don't want to wait, I think just interfacing with somebody one on one or taking like a good introductory introductory class. Like it takes about three to 10 hours to get enough kind of like base material to kind of feel comfortable with like like the terminology, enough of the nuances of the qualities to kind of start. The other way to get kickstarted that I got, I think happened in my life. So I got kickstarted two ways. One, we were going to Dr. Ladd's weekend workshops in Albuquerque, which the Ayurprana webinars simulate basically. That was one. And step two is I actually, I think my first experience, even before doing a cleanse at the Institute was doing a home cleanse. And so an Ayurvedic home cleanse that's simple. So you can do one, but we'll have another one. Like we're going to have these ongoing, like we plan to do them in every season change, which is when you typically do them. So we'll have one in winter, like this is fall going into winter. We'll do one winter going into spring. And that's just kind of a first way to get into because during the cleanse, you'll do a bhyanga, which is self-massage oiliation. And that's a routine you can do anytime. You don't have to do during a cleanse, but kind of 
kind of like a Vipassana or a meditation course or a retreat, right? When you dive in and you do something for like five or seven or nine days, you kind of build this habit. So the same way during the cleanse, right? You'll kind of feel the impact of Kitri on your on your body and how you can incorporate that on a regular basis. You'll start to take some basic herbs, right? And so then you'll kind of get the sense of like, okay, how can... Like I kind of do this reset, but how can I start to incorporate some of these things? I love how kichudi is part of this, by the way, because I make it every week for my kids. It's literally their favorite meal. <laughs> it's the cornerstone. Like what we did growing up where we had kichudi once a week. So I'll call it what it is, Devon, kichudi parties. We had kichudi parties. <laughs> it's so good. They love it. So during this cleanse, I actually told about it. Parthino is in, he's done with Boston a lot and he's really he's excited about this but can you work out is it is it is it crazy intense in terms of like where you're eating or should you be like chilling so obviously the best way to do it so the best ideal way to do it is you go somewhere and you do a bunch of karma and you totally have downtime that's that's number one right that's number one but but i would always say doing some participation is better than no participation the saying, I can't leave my job and COVID and whatever, that's part of the reason we're doing the home cleanse, right? So number one is go somewhere, unplug, unwind, same thing but what, but what Vipassana gives you or any of these types of things give you. That's number one. If you can't do that, okay, do it at home, but try to minimize what other things you're doing. So if you can't take time off fully, okay, fine, do your job. But yeah, I would say not no vigorous workouts. We're going to have a series of yoga routines and meditation practices that you can do during, but they're going to be more restorative yoga, not invigorating. Because an Ayurvedic detox, effectively what you're, the, the root of Ayurveda, one root of Ayurveda is that what you put in should be digested and then put out. So I put into my body emotional, physical, environmental inputs, if I'm running optimally, my body digests all that, extracts the energy and nutrients I need, and any waste produced from that is totally eliminated from the body. But that doesn't happen. So what ends up happening is the non-eliminated waste then starts to make their way into different parts of the body. What basically you're doing into this cleanse is you're basically calming your digestive tract down. You're loosening those toxins up through a process of internal and external oleation, through a process of calming the body down a little bit. And that's why I say, if you can unplug totally, the best. Just like in Vipassana, you stop those mental inputs by not interacting with the world. Here, if you can if you can reduce, and that's where Kitri comes in. You, you, it's not that you don't eat, but you make yourself have a simple mono diet. So the body knows what it's processing. It can process it very easily, and then it can take on the extra load. But if you're having like pizza and whatever and corn dogs and I don't know, whatever else we eat in this world, I, I just think of the worst things, right? Like you could put probably put in your body. Like, and I love Pete and I love pizza. And so basically you're inviting in the kind of weird way, you're inviting these toxins back into your GI tract to flush out. And so that's where the external massage comes in. You end up eating significant amounts of ghee for a few days. And yeah, there's this whole... I don't think I've had ghee since I was in India with my ba. Well, you would do ghee in this. You would have it by the spoonful once once a day for a few days. I might need it for my track, dude. By the way, for everyone listening, kishuri is lentils, ghee, turmeric. Cumin, salt. And you can add some light veggies. Like even in this, I think you can add some light veggies, certain types that don't aggravate the dosha, basically. It's a very simple meal. It's a staple in Gujarat, maybe around India. Yeah, yeah. Different forms definitely all over India and different sort of amounts of popularity, but yeah. So so the cleanse from fall to winter starts next week. And that's for everyone. That's for anyone who wants to join, yeah. 
Yeah. And so we're going to do some recorded stuff. We're going to do Facebook Live every day. We're going to have a Facebook private group going for question answers and support till we get our own platform and portal up. We're going to use what what available tools are out there. And yeah, it's going to be, I think it'll be, I don't know, it's going to be cool. That's awesome. So yeah, how you, have you guys navigated throughout this pandemic? I mean, have has everything been going well business-wise since COVID? Yeah, obviously, you know, COVID has gotten people thinking about their natural health. So obviously the need for herb, like, you know, Banyan's been an essential business and has stayed open throughout and has been operating and, and serving customers by, yeah, we've seen significant like 50 months, 50% up, 100% to normal kind of sales as, as people kind of like, oh, I can calm down. It's interesting because Banyan doesn't normally sell a lot of immune products because we're a mail order company. Most people are like, oh, I have a cold. I want to get echinacea or this or that. And they run to Whole Foods or Sprouts or whatever. And they pick up what they want. And so when the pandemic hit, like, yeah, we sold out of all our immune products in like six months supply in like weeks. I see my mom was saying, I think she had talked to you and she was saying that you guys were selling like a shit ton of kichri stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because Indians went on this bin. There was like rumors that all imports were going to shut down for six months. You weren't going to be able to get dal. So yeah, we had actually, we always have a lot of stock. So we actually, yeah, we had like a year of supply of dal and we sold some of that. And like, yeah, the rice was crazy because supermarket shelves ran our rice and then we sell rice on Amazon. And it was just like, yeah, it was just very interesting. Like we added second shift for about a month and... It was just kind of crazy. And how about the warehouses? Are they still operating? Yeah. Yeah. We've done, luckily we have an MD and Brenda on board and she, you know, so we, you know, from the get go had very like different practices we put in place. The first month of the pandemic, we actually, cause we didn't know what was going on. We had encouraged everyone to just, once they get to work and they check in with their temp and have sanitized, we actually provided lunch for everybody the entire first month so that they didn't have to leave and potentially contempt, like expose themselves outside of the building. Obviously somebody had to go either get lunch or we brought lunch in, but yeah, we tried to do some cool stuff and keep the space clean and yeah. Doing what you can. The Ayurvedic school has been figuring their thing out by moving everything online. You know, we got a lot of Dr. Ladd stuff online, like all of the webinars online. So yeah, it's been just as everyone's adapting and we're adapting and doing it. Right, right. Wait, so then how long are you in India for? Because I know you're there for Falgani's school. Are you working from there now for a while? Or? Yeah, I'm working from here. Yeah, we've basically shifted to being based here at this point. So I'm here for... Until either, you know, I plan to come back like a few times a year just to connect and, you know, it's hard to do everything remote all the time. And I just don't work that way. Biden is president. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Some, some Shanti in our lives. So wait, in India, but you're you're still based in Albuquerque. And then there's another, there's a team somewhere else, right? Yeah, all the Ayurprana, Ayurvedic Institute, and Banyan teams are based in Albuquerque, except for Al- Banyan also has a team. The the marketing, Kevin, who runs marketing, customer service, and the overall corporate strategy is based out of Ashland, Oregon. And then in Oregon also this last year, yeah, the Banyan team bought a farm and we're doing some cool stuff out there with like the Living Ayurvedic Internship where Tyler actually, we you know, it's kind of like a woofing learning program. So... We had, I think, a total of 10 or 12 students over the summer in two waves stay on the farm. They work like 25 hours a week on the farm and they get about 15 hours a week of instruction, Ayurvedic and farming and medicine making instruction from various Ayurvedic teachers and practitioners. And yeah, it's a really cool program to like disconnect and like 
be like really connected to the earth. And but it's hard work too. Like it can seem romantic, but it's like, yeah, that 25 hours, you're weeding, you're moving dirt, you're planting, you're harvesting, like not a joke, dude. It's physical. It's physical, but for the right person, the right mindset. If uh, might come out then out of frustration, dude. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was telling I was even telling something too. I was like, I'm gonna interview Devong and she was like are you guys going to make it through an interview? I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about like real shit. It's going to happen. <laughs> you know, cause like, I think all of us who you knew growing up, like, you know, Sapna, Ashish, Gun- all of, well not Ashish, but even Gunjan who I saw recently, like we all know what you're doing kind of ish, but like, you know, we've all in a way lost touch. So like the journey has been kind of lost, you know? And so that's why I was like, you know what, even I, even though we're, we've reconnected and my parents know what you're doing. I'm like, I actually don't know all the details of the story. Don't worry. Sometimes I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, look, we're still jumping. It's fine. No, I'm, yeah, it's good to connect. But yeah, this was like super cool for me to find out that you're doing this. And like, yeah, I remember when I remember hearing from my parents, you're going to law school. I was like, what, what's going on? I, I should have probably called you. Just so you guys know, we ended up settling a 1985-86 fight we had on the playground, which is the real reason I did this podcast episode, but you know, two for one. But in all seriousness, very proud of him and very proud of everything he's accomplished. If you guys are interested in Ayurveda and Ayurvedic medicine and the Ayurvedic practice, please check out Banyan Botanicals. Check out the Ayurvedic Institute and check out Live Ayurprana. And I think he did mention that they will have Ayurvedic practitioners starting next year that you can connect with virtually to talk about your own issues or ailments, which is pretty cool because everything's virtual nowadays. And as always, you can follow me at Ami Tuckered Out. And I think it's time to go for that cleanse, guys. I will see you soon. This is Ami Tuckered Out. <laughs> <laughs>